This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. All right, go ahead and find your seat this morning. Go ahead and find your seat this morning, and uh, I want to get a Bible in your hand, and if you already have one, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. If you need a Bible, we have some ushers that will get a Bible in your hand. I really want you to have this Bible. If you don't own one, this is our gift to you. Make sure you keep the Bible. If you do and you just forgot to bring it today, get a Bible in your hands and then just leave it here and we will pick it up. Before we jump into the text today, and I'm going to move to quickly through these things, I want to uh, just uh, make a couple of quick announcements. One would be this, fr- this Saturday night, we're going to have a tapestry event. What tapestry meant, it means is that we are all created in the image and likeness of God, but that we are all very different, different, different colors, different ages, different uh, different uh, backgrounds, all the different th- differences that happen. God has created us in those differences and that if we could weave our lives together as a tapestry, we would be a fuller disp- display of the very image of God together and in our uniqueness and color and beauty, we come together. And so one way we're doing that is having a Thanksgiving feast with all different kinds of food from different cultures and each RC is going to be making different foods and we're going to eat together and fellowship and look across the table in people who to people who are different on the outside than us but people who have been made one in Christ so I encourage you to come on Saturday night that's going to be really fun make sure to talk to your RC about what foods are coming and and what's happening we'd love to have you if you're not in an RC you're invited to come but that's this Saturday night second thing is we have Advent coming up really soon and uh, that's going to be starting in two weeks from now, we're going to be talking about our Advent offering. We're going to be talking about an affordable Christmas program that we're doing, and we're going to be asking for volunteers to get involved, that we're going to be serving our neighborhood in ways. And the reason why is we want to rewrite the narrative of how we celebrate Christmas, primarily not all about us and us getting the toys we want, but about us spending less and giving more because of how much we've been given in Christ. And so we're going to be spending that time celebrating together. And so uh, this is one way we're going to be raising funds for something that is very uh, dear to us. We're going to be building a learning center uh, just in these in this place with after-school programs and partnerships with neighborhood community uh, prog- pro- programs. And our classes will be there, just uh, trade work and cooking classes and music and and after school education to help do homework and those kinds of things and we're going to be uh, opening those up and that's going to be something that we're going to be working towards and we need to raise the money for this is one way that we're doing that through this run if you want information there or maybe you have other ways you're like I I don't want to run but I do want to uh, help raise money then let us know we would love to get uh, we would love for you to to lead something to help us maybe there's yard sales you could do or some way that happened we're in our advent offering is going to go towards that and part towards foster care uh, initiatives here in with us and so we got so much coming up but if you want to be a part of this run that's coming up on December 10th and help us raise money please find information that's there also look online to get more uh, of our announcements we have so much coming up Facebook has them I think our website has them all that kind of stuff or give us a call or email us we'd love to for you to connect there's so much going on getting your RCs ask questions um, and so I wanted to run through that today. You have your Bibles with you? Um, one would be, uh, I, want, I wanted to say uh, how thankful I am 
to be a part of this community and how blessed I am to, to call this home. Um, and today's sermon is going to be in that vein. And here's, here's the reason why. Um, I'm going to use this sermon today. I felt a tension this week with all that's happening. I'm going to use this sermon this week to both share what is in the text, but to try and address some things that are happening in our world and primarily in our church, in not just locally, but in the church across America, the American church, but also locally. We're a part of that. So what I want to do today is share with you that I've had a lot of tension this week with many of you on how to walk in these times. And most of my frustration, if you will, if I'm honest, and I'll share more of that in a minute, which I'm going to be honest. Y'all cool if I just get real today? Are y'all good with that? Or you can't, man, you, y'all can't handle the truth. Um, no, just kidding. You got You handle this. Even if you can't, I'm going to say it anyways. Um, most of my frustration in this time has not been with what's happening in our government, although there's frustration there, or what's happening in our country and all those, and I'll explain that. Most of my frustration is pastoral in how the church in America is acting and how locally our church could be and who we could be in this time. And as we approach this text today, my concern for us is not who you voted for or who you didn't vote for. And I want to make that clear up front. That's not what I'm most concerned about. What I'm concerned about is, is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is of most importance to me. And when we care about the kingdom of God, I think we can rightly care about all that's happening, happening in our world. But if you care about the kingdoms of this world, so let's say, the American government or whatever party you are a part of, when you care about that ultimately does not mean you will care about the kingdom of God. There is no party, there is no government in our world that has a market on and has boxed in and packaged and said, this is the kingdom of God. Like the kingdom of God always is in systems and structures and is prophetic to the world around it. It is a display of what the kingdom should look like. And so as the people of God in this world, if our faith is so closely aligned with our government and our party, there's something wrong with us. That we have lost being salt and light to the world around us, that we have so aligned our faith with what our politics are, then we have lost our place in our, in our world entirely. So my prayer is that as the people of God, we would learn to live in these times as salt and light, as the, as, as the Sermon on the Mount talked about, as prophetic witnesses of the kingdom that is to come, of a reflection of our king and, 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 his, and his politic in the world. And so as we read this text, as we're coming to the close in the Sermon on the Mount, I do believe a couple of things. One would be, this is not only uh, for 
this time, but I, I, also, I can also hear the echoes of it in God knowing that we would be on this pl- in this place in time as we approach this text. And I didn't know we would be here. And this week as I'm studying this, I'm feeling this tension. What do I do? Do I just preach this or do I talk about some things that are, I'm wrestling with personally or how do I do this? And as I work through this, there was a lot of tension in it. And so maybe you'll feel that. Maybe you'll feel the tension that I'm, I'm feeling. Maybe you'll feel that. But mostly what I do pray that you feel from me is my pastoral concern. I care about us. I have never felt like in any time in my life, like I have here recently, I don't feel like I have a home anywhere until I'm around the people of God, primarily in Redemption Alhambra, where all of a sudden I can see a taste of what home will be like. But I have no place to lay my head right now. I have no country to call home. And inside of that, I think what the Lord talked to me or, or comforted me in is that, Aaron, that's, that's what it's supposed to be for the church everywhere they're at. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has lo- no place to lay his head. And if we've been laying our head in this world and in this country, then no wonder we're feeling so much unrest right now because we've been finding rest in a place we're not supposed to be finding it. So I want us to stand as we read Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read this, and then we're just going to walk through this sermon differently. But I do pray that you would hear from me today primarily pastoral concern and not preaching, okay? If I slip into preaching a little bit, then uh, it's just default for me, you know? Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but he... But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out demons in your name? Do you not do not many mighty works? Do that and do not many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Lord, help us. Give us ears to hear. You are our Father. And you are king. And we come to you seeking in you what we can only find. And that is great comfort and joy. Give us your heart, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to start with pastoral concern. Um, and if you could write these three, down, three things down, that would be great. I, I'll have them up on the screen. But primarily, there's a few pastoral concerns I have. And I'll say about the church in America. Um, rather than the American church. I'll try to. And the reason why is because I do believe that. I do believe 
that the church is to be in America, but we're not to be the American church, right? That we should not be co-opted by this. And what ends up happening is our theology starts to align more with what we believe about our country than what we believe about the kingdom of God. And so here's three things that I've seen in the church in America that I think is, is concerning. One would be that our theology has equaled academics to us, meaning, and I'll try to run through these quickly, people have made their relationship with God primarily academic. And here's, here's, here's how we go with this. As we approach God, we are primarily trying to understand God. By studying him, by studying his word, we're primarily trying to understand God. And we don't think there's a problem in that, meaning like you could understand him. Rather than us seeking understanding, we've gone away from, in the pursuit of understanding God, we've gone away from following him. And being in a relationship with him. And what we've tried to do is take our relationship with God into the classroom and out of the living room. Out of family. Out of the kingdom of God. Out of what it means to be in a relationship with him, Father King. And so when we take him out of and put him into the classroom, we approach God scientifically trying to dissect him, thinking that if we dissect him, we will understand him when the truth is he has called us into a relationship with him as Father, as King, as Lord and that our relationship with him is supposed to be so uh, influential. This discipleship the relationship, this kind of follow me, this kind of be my child, this uh, identity that we have because of him as our father, where he's teaching us to obey. It moves us out of this kind of teaching me to understand, but teaching me to obey. That the primary responsibility, the primary posture that we have with God is we want to learn so that we can obey because he's our father. That's why I, I'm praying that we start to understand theology different, not as someone who's smart and articulate, but theology, like John Frame says, theology is application of God's word to all areas of life. I pray that we start to see theologians as people who hear God's word and do it rather than understand it and articulate it. That's my prayer. Second would be, we as an uh, American church or a church in America have started to look at pride as a virtue. Now, here's what I mean by that. I think in the country that we live in, pride is something that we tell people you should have. Pride is a, is a virtue, meaning pride is something where I should think about myself. I should look out for myself. We should be proud of who we are. We should be proud of our country. And what we should do is take this kind of idea of where we watch out for ourselves. We protect ourselves. We, we look out. We, we, we spend all on ourselves. And it's all about protecting ourselves and safety of ourselves and, 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 and thinking of ourselves and 
having the American dream, this kind of idea where we're prosperous and doing all that we've ever wanted to do. And what that has done is slipped into the church where we have told people that pride is a virtue, meaning instead of pride being the root of all kinds of evil and the pride being serious sin that is subtle and eats away at the very core of the kingdom of God and a pride that is the problem, what we see and tell people is, look, only think of yourself, only care for yourself rather than teaching people to live for God and for others. Where we lose ourselves and find life on a different path. That in the losing of ourselves, we find ourselves in Christ and in his people. And in the dying to ourselves, we find resurrection. And that resurrection is this new life that we find that is not found in self-orientation and what that has led to is us believing that blessing equals the easy road if we're honest most of us as christians believe that god wants everything to be easy and comfortable for us maybe we would never preach that but we definitely live that Because whenever it gets uncomfortable or hard, we think that means curse, not blessing. Last week, Jesus says to his disciples, listen, if you're going to follow this road to life, it's going to be bumpy and hard and narrow. He warns them up front, this is going to be bumpy and hard and narrow. And we hear that. But when we get into the moments where it's bumpy, hard, and narrow, and tense, we don't see that as blessing. We only see it as a blessing when we get a raise, get a new house, get a new car. Someone comes to you and says, man, you got a new raise, and you go, I got a raise, and we immediately go, wow, God's really blessing you. How do you know? What if that could be a curse? What if that raise was a curse and not a blessing? What if that raise meant you had to, uh, uh, that you had to spend more time consumed with your work and neglecting the things of the kingdom? What if that raise meant that as you pursued those things that you felt more and more comfortable and kind of lulled into sleep and didn't pay attention to the very uh, war against yourself? What if that raise was you being turned over to what you wanted most? Oh, but that's a blessing, right? Praise God. Bless God. You got a raise. Hey, listen, I'm not saying don't get a raise, but don't look at every easy thing as a blessing. We have equated Christianity and blessings of being in Christ to the easy life, and you have to literally ignore Scripture to believe that and the words of Jesus. And when we read a text like this, and we've gone through the whole thing in the Sermon on the Mount, what we notice now is that as God is a good father who loves his children, everything he's done throughout all of these, all of these, uh, all of these things that he's been saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the merciful, blessed are those who are reconciled. He's showing us what the true blessed life is. Not blessed are those who are comfortable and easy, but blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those, he's redefining blessing. 
He's redefining what it means to be in his kingdom by saying, hey, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. And what we want to do is dissect, God, can I understand that before I turn the other cheek? Could you make sense? Like, what do you mean by? Let's dissect what it means to turn the other cheek. Let's, just, let's take this into the classroom for a little while. And while we're debating it in the classroom and we're getting slapped on the cheek, we're slapping back until we can make sense of it. And while we enter into all these kinds of questions about, uh, you know, die to yourself, give yourself away, go on this path, we're wrestling with all these kinds of things. And surely God would never want me to like lose myself in the midst of all this. We wrestle with our academics, with our pride, with our ideas of blessing. And what ends up happening is we fall into traps. And this is where Jesus says to his children, his disciples, in verse number 15, he says, Beware, any good father is going to warn his children. Any good father is going to warn his children. And this is... The heart of the father to look at his children and say, what does he say? Beware of false prophets. And, and let me just get real pastoral with you for a moment. I am concerned about the church in America and our church here in Alhambra. I am concerned by how gullible we are. Meaning. We have been so co-opted with this idea that we are afraid to be judgmental and negative that we are swallowing whole false teachings from wolves that are trying to eat us. Listen, I get concerned when I sit down with somebody and they're like, listen, why, don't bring up this person's name and I'm not going to bring up people's names today. So that's not the, but here, don't bring up this person's name and, and say, be careful with their teachings. Well, you know, they're, they're, they're in the church and, and don't, don't be don't bring up their names. And listen, I know people can go overboard and just go on wolf hunts, right? I get it. But I will tell you this, it is concerning when someone who is a follower of Christ believes there is no false prophets out there anymore. And that we cannot listen to or hear the teachings of those who call themselves Christians or those who are in the world around us and they're saying these things. And all we try to do is, 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 is to find the ways in which we can swallow the whole and not be judgmental and not say anything negative. And hear me this. I'm not telling you to be judgmental because Jesus earlier on says that we should not be judged. So there has to be a difference between judgmental and discerning. There has to be a difference. Because Jesus tells them, don't be judgmental, right? But he does say, beware. Beware of false prophets. And who are these false prophets? These are ones who will tell you what you want to hear and will tell you a different road and a different path. And as we take these kinds of false teachings in, what ends up happening is we develop theologies like this, where we go 
after our own comfort and safety, health, wealth, and prosperity, and call that the gospel. Why? Because we listen to teachers who tell us that God is all about our health, wealth, prosperity, and comfort. What else do we do? We respect the rich over the poor. Meaning we are partial that we give more respect to somebody who has money than we do to somebody who doesn't. And James says that if you have that kind of faith, you actually have a dead faith if you show that kind of partiality. We would rather have people with money than people without money. Why? Because they have more to bring to the table, namely money. And whatever they say, we better shut up and listen because they obviously are successful because they have money. When money is what determines what we listen to somebody, we get into places where if somebody has a ton of money, they could be whoever they want to be and we'll give them as much power and respect as we think. Why? Because we're enamored with money. We show that in our church culture and we show that in the world around us. What else? We believe success is big, is, means bigger or better. And we look at success not as one who came and whose end of life was dying on a cross alone. We look at success who's somebody who is always going up and progressing and getting bigger and better. We've fallen into this lie that this is what success is. We have condoned pride. We have overlooked pride in our own hearts and made pride a virtue while we as the church focus on sins like abortion and homosexuality. But pride's cool. Listen, I'm not condoning abortion and homosexuality. What I'm saying is we have become majorly hypocritical hypocritical in the world because we focus on these two things rather than and, and ignoring the obvious plot pride that everybody else can see in us. We have focused on our personal relationships with God where all of our messages in these times are all about me and him and me and God and God helping me and blessing me and, and saving me and redeeming. All about me and God. We've made it all about our personal individual relationships rather than us seeing that God is huge and big and has this huge story that he's calling us into. We've made it so private that we no longer see that God loves the world and has a plan for all and is doing. And so we have privatized all that we have done. We've fallen into this kind of idea that everything is personal and private. And we have become so concerned about knowledge over embodiment Hear me on this. If this is what we believe, then no wonder, no wonder that we would call ourselves in this world to align with whatever kind of false 
understanding we have of the gospel because of false teachings and preachings and what we have ended up doing is aligning ourselves with whatever system or government or or whatever party lines up with that and we've called that godly and what we've done is we have found ourselves in a world where our Christianity and our politics You can't tell the difference between. Meaning, hear me this. So many of us have been co-opted by our political party, whether that's Republican or Democrat, that we have ceased to be salt and light and prophetic that we would look at our party and say, this is godly. And we would look across the aisle and say, how could a Christian ever be like this? Why? Because our faith and our party are identical. Rather than us seeing that as a church in the world, we are not called to be co-opted into the American story, but we are called to be salt and light. That even if we are a part of a political party, we are in it to be a reflection of the kingdom to it. That means that we should see the good and the bad. We should see the the things that are good and pure and right in both. And we should see the things that are evil and wicked. And we should be able to stand prophetically and be a voice to those that are in it. And when you hear this kind of reality where Jesus is saying, beware of false prophets. He's not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm He's being a good father who's saying, be aware, be watchful. He's not calling you to be judgmental, but he is calling you to be discerning. This is not a call to go out there and find the wolves and kill them. This is a call to say, don't be eaten by them. Do you see this in this text? What he's pointing us to is beware of false prophets. And the way you're going to see what kind of a false prophet is, if you don't get swept up in their words and you look at their fruit. Fruit, you can't fake. Can't fake the fruit. Sounds like a good hip-hop song right there can't fake the fruit you could say whatever you want you could proclaim whatever you want you could confess whatever you want you could teach whatever you want you could say whatever anybody wants to hear but you cannot fake the fruit when you look at the lives of these false teachers what you're going to see is very clear second would be this trying to go quick Beware of false prophets. Second is this. Beware of false comfort. Meaning, not everyone, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day there will be many, and that word many is a lot for sure, but it can be translated majority. There will be a majority, and if we just use that word majority, I'm not trying to come up with a percentage or a number, but hear me on this. That means there's more than 50% who will think they will stand before God on judgment day and will stand before him, and out of their mouth they will think and have comfort and for sure, I'm for sure getting into the kingdom of heaven, and the reality is they're not. I mean, if we just took that as like a, a jarring statement, that means this half, I don't know which side you're on, but this half, I don't know. You better figure it out, right? What do you do? What do you do with a statement in which you hear Jesus saying something so jarring? Beware of false prophets and beware of false comfort. Meaning this idea that just because someone has confessed Jesus does not mean they know Jesus. Why? Because this idea of confession is very clear. It's actually a confession. A confession of courtesy is what the best way to explain it. It is this idea that it's popular and it's comfortable and it's, it's better that I would just confess that he is Lord for my own benefit. It, it's not for the kingdom of God. It's not because he's Lord. It's just better for me, right? This is very, very dangerous because I would say there are many people who have found that it would benefit them in the polls if they just confess that they're evangelical. Why? Why would that be okay in an evangelical world? I'll tell you why. Because we have made our faith confessional. Say the prayer and you're a Christian. That's what makes someone a Christian. Say the prayer. Confess it. That's all. So if all you have to do is confess, then that would make a ton of sense. But what Jesus is saying here is there are going to be many who have this false comfort who never knew him as father, who never, he knew them as child, who never was a part of his kingdom. But not only did they just confess, they did more than what Americans say we needed. They cast out demons. Like our, our checklist is say the prayer, come to church whenever you can, and tithe once in a while. Like that's, that's what we've made Christianity. And Jesus is saying these are people who've cast out demons, who've done mighty works. This is not on many of our resumes. And he's saying, depart from me, you workers of lawless. I never knew you. This should be jarring. It should wake you up out of a sleep that you've been in. This should open up your eyes and make you see what is Jesus trying to do right now? He's showing us Beware, be alert, keep your eyes open, don't be eaten up by false teachings because what is at stake here 
is you finding false comfort in things that were never meant to be giving you comfort. That means that we can't just be following Christ when it's a means of popularity and comfort for us. We can't just be in relationship with him when we think it benefits us or our party or our community. We can't just be following when we think it's going to benefit our businesses or our hope. We have to understand that what we have been called into is far more covenantal than just a public confession. Without too much dissecting of that, what should I do as a pastor? And what should I do as a Christian in these times? And what should I do as a father? And what should I do as a follower of Christ? What should I do in these times? I've... I wrote these three things down knowing that this is not going to be enough for the time we have together, but I do pray that it challenges us to do something. One is, for Redemption Church Alhambra, I don't feel the burden, first of all, hear me on this, I don't feel the burden to change America. I don't. I don't feel the burden to make it back to whatever, when people call it a Christian nation. Like, I don't know what a Christian nation is. I don't know, you know, I don't know why we think, you know, it ever was. I, I don't know. I really don't. Except for I do know that, that this nation has had Christians in it for a long time and they were in positions of influence and there was places in which we have gone wrong and things that have happened. I don't know, but I do know this, that for all of the story of Scripture, all of the Bible, the church has been placed in cities, in governments, in the world, in, in places that have been hard, in places that have been easy. They have been placed in different contexts for a long time with the same calling. Be a light and be salt and be a witness of the kingdom so that they will never be able to find in this world what they're looking for, but they should be able to look into the church and see a glimpse of what's to come. Why have we lost that? And here's why. Because people can't tell the difference between evangelicalism and a Republican. So they just say that's the same thing. Where I would say we need, what we need to get back to being the church is we need to see the distinction between being co-opted by a government and being the church that's a witness of the kingdom. And being the church that is the people, where my concern is, is not how do we get the nation back. Now listen, I, I don't, we can talk about that later. I think we should be a witness. But I will say this, how does the church repent? That's where I, that's where I, how does the church get back to where they need to be? And then let me zoom in even farther than that. I don't feel any burden for all the church in America, because I don't pastor all the church in America. I pastor here. 
This is where God has placed me. And I'm not trying to ignore our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, but I am saying this. I care about you. God has placed you in my life, and I care about you. So when I see all of this bringing division here, and separating us, and bringing us at odds with one another, and us viewing each other as the others, and not living in the kind of gospel-centered you, that's where I start to go, whew, this isn't out there. This is in here. How do we, how do we, how does this church, here, three things. One, church, take your relationship with Jesus extremely seriously. You have to know him. You have to know his kingdom. You have to know his ways, his work. You have to know who he is in that relationship. Take your relationship with him extremely seriously. Last week, we talked about how do we walk that hard and bumpy and narrow road. Well, you don't look for directions. You look for a tour guide who has walked it before. The only way to walk this road of the kingdom is if you're not going, hey, just tell me to go, where to go and I'll do it myself. That's not how you walk the path of the kingdom. The only way you walk the path of the kingdom is you follow real closely to Jesus. As you start taking your eyes off Jesus, as you stop clinging to him, it's easy how we start to shift into being something totally different. How do we know that when we stand before him on judgment day, if you will, that he's not going to say, I didn't know you. Well, that's, that's the thing. That's that relational, covenantal. So it doesn't mean he didn't know who you were, right? It doesn't mean God didn't know something. It means there was not that knowing relationship, that covenantal relationship. He is mine, I am his, and inside of that, that core relationship is so essential to the kingdom the only way you will know the kingdom is through knowing the king through jesus the embodiment of it take seriously your relationship with jesus and some of you in this room could say you know what if i'm honest i don't take that relationship seriously at all i look at it in my own light as a way to use jesus to advance my own kingdom repent how Jesus can make my life more comfortable, how he can make me more beneficial, how I can do all these things. I don't really care about Jesus and his kingdom. What I really want is him to bless me, him to take care of me, him to validate me, him to do. Repent. And take your relationship with Jesus seriously. And know that you're not saved based upon all your good works, but you're saved upon the good work of Jesus. You're not saved because you've cast out demons and you've done these good works. You're saved because of the good works of Jesus. Two, take your relationship with the church seriously. And here's what I mean. You can't separate Jesus from his church. Meaning there has been times in my life, especially now, where I've started to feel alienated from the church, the big C church. Because I start to see disconnection in me and I start to go, man, Rather separate and just be me and Jesus. But I will tell you this. The reason why the church has lost its witness in the world in many ways is because we preach a message we don't embody. And the only way to embody it is if we all do it together. Yeah. Hear me on that. 
It's easy to talk about how the kingdom of God brings reconciliation between races, but then everybody else in the world goes, well, then why is the church the most segregated place in the world? It's just true. We would all rather go to where everybody looks like us than come to where everybody together looks like him. Why? Why? I'll tell you why. Because especially in these times, I told Pastor Wayne this this week. I said, I can see why people don't go to diverse churches. After the week I had, I could see why they would just go to where everybody looks like them and talks like them. Because when you're in communities like this, you're forced to look at things through other people's eyes. You're forced to hear things that you never wanted to hear. And people aren't just sounding boards for your theology. They're lenses. Church, I know I'm going long. This is important. I got to stop. Hear me on this today, please. If I, this is me. If I walk into a room and I just, in a church, if I walk into a church and I just see everybody looking the same, same class, same race for me, and I fit in, like, man, this is my people here. I personally start feeling uncomfortable, like hoping there's no K's anywhere and no like bed sheets or white sheets somewhere. Like I'm starting to think like this, is this a church or a clan meeting? What is going on around here? I did, I apologize. I feel uncomfortable, why? Because my theology of what God does in reconciliation between different peoples is way different than that. I feel uncomfortable. And I think God has placed in me something else that I've experienced by being in relationships with you. I told Wes as we were taking communion together, I've seen the world differently because he's my brother. I've seen the world differently because Wayne's my brother. I've seen the world differently because I have people of different races and ages and, and demographic, every, every kinds of, I've seen the world differently. Why? Because they've walked out this unity piece. We've got to learn what it means to be united before we start telling America how to be united. And we got to point back to something that says, this is what unity looks like in the kingdom of God. And three, we've got to take serious our relationship with the world. Pastor Wayne, please come out. I promise, last thing. Our relationship with the world, what does that mean? Please don't try to make America perfect before you can love it. Don't. That doesn't work in any relationship. What you have to do is rewrite the narrative and you have to tell lies in order to make it a country you can love. That's not what Jesus did for us. He didn't say, hey, you didn't do anything wrong. You're good. You're perfect and I love you just as you are. No, he said, you are sinful and broken. You have rebelled against my father. I'm going to enter into it and show you what true love is, that I'm going to die for you and I'm going to give my life for you. In a relationship where husband and wife is really successful is not where you say, my wife's perfect and my husband's perfect. No, a true loving relationship is where your eyes are wide open and you see the brokenness nobody else could see and you still love them. 
And the love of God shapes them and you work through it. And when we look at our country and have to make up a whole story about how great we are in order to love it, we're not being the church. Listen, I can love the church. With the, I can love America without worshiping America. I can love and serve my country in ways that are true without trying to make up a story that makes it look perfect and like it's the greatest nation in the world. Because newsflash, it's not. We may have more money, but that doesn't make us the best. And you have to hear that every Christian in all of the world has to learn to love its neighbor, love its people around it, love its nation, no matter how broken it is. And we're called to that same thing. Take serious your relationship with Jesus. Take serious your relationship in this church. And take serious your relationship with the people in our country. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.